So welcome everyone. Is this anybody's first time at City Beautiful Church? A little raise of your hand. All right. Wonderful. Well, welcome. Welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm the pastor here. Um, This is a really exciting night, both for me personally and for you, even though most of you don't know that yet, but you're going to be really excited. So through the summer, we did this series called Colony, and it was about this question, what does it look like for us to be the people of God in the 21st century? How do we meet the, way, the world in the way that it actually is? To see it honestly, but also begin to ask those kinds of questions of the Lord of how do we step out and be his faithful presence? Um, and a lot of what we talked about was social justice, was about us as Christians going out into the world and participating in the work of healing that God is doing worldwide. Um, and I've, I've always been so proud of our community and its willingness to jump up and to say yes at the opportunities that God has given us uh, to do that, to be hands and feet, to put action to words. Um, And tonight, there's this beautiful divine coincidence that um, three endeavors that we've already spoken about in some aspect are all converging on one day. Um, First off, uh, today is Freedom Sunday uh, with International Justice Mission. Is anybody aware of International Justice Mission? A few of you, wonderful. Um, so today is Freedom Sunday, and that means that there's 440 churches around the nation today that are focusing on modern slavery and what it is that God wants to do in it, which is pretty phenomenal. So even as we're sitting here today, we have brothers and sisters all over the nation who are focused on the same thing. And the thing that makes it really awesome is my brother happens to work there, and he's here tonight to share with us about that. Um, and what the, the other two things that we're focusing in on tonight is that our Peru mission team, team is heading out on Wednesday. So if you're on that team, raise your hand real quick. Yes. So this is, this is our third trip down there. And we're partnering with the church there and, and seeking to build a long-term relationship where we're not coming in and doing things for them, but we are championing them and, and helping them to be the faithful presence in their neighborhood in Lima, Peru. Um, and then the final thing is that for a long time, we've been partnered with um, a school, a charter school called the Human Experience. How many of you had a chance to visit the Human Experience at some point? All right, wonderful. Um, so there's some, been some really exciting changes with the Human Experience. And so I want to invite um, Bethany to come up and just share a little bit about that if you want to give her a round of applause. Uh, Bethany has been a really faithful member of our local global team, and specifically, she has a heart for the human experience and has uh, devoted so much of her time and energy, especially in this past year, into really coming alongside of Nathan and and helping craft something beautiful. So she's here to tell us a little bit about uh, a transition and what what that looks like for our partnership. Yeah, so um, the last two years or so, we partnered along with the Human Experience, which has been functioning as a school. This year, there's a big change happening, and I wanted to make sure that you all knew about it, so you could just know going forward, be praying for it, and be praying about stepping into it in a different way with us. So um, this year, the Human Experience is not functioning as a school. Um, There's been about 32 students that have been involved, and Nathan has been very diligently working with those students and their parents to put them in other great schools in Orlando. Um, But that doesn't mean that our relationship with those 32 students stops. It's really important to us that we continue to be able to sow into them and love on them and just really help these students know that, like, they're important and that they matter. And um, so I think if I can just really press into you guys to help you understand that, like, the gift of presence and time is huge. Like, I think we all feel that personally. Like, it means so much when someone spends time and 
puts their presence into us and asks us questions and wants to know about us. And for these 32 students, a lot of them don't get people that do that. Um, and so we're looking for people that are gonna help us continue to do that. And what's exciting with it not being a school, it means that we actually get together with the students in the evening, so it might free up some time for some of you that weren't able to plug in before. Um, basically, on Friday nights, there's two Fridays a month we're getting together with these students, and we're just playing. Like, we're playing basketball and volleyball and hanging out with them and getting to know them and showing them that we care enough to be there. So if you um, want more details on what specifically that looks like, you can go to the weekly, which I know you all know that website, right? Because you go there every week. citybeautiful.ch slash weekly. Um, you can get more information there. You can also reach out to me through the local global email or just grab me after service. But basically, I'm asking you to care. I'm asking you to care to show up. It doesn't have to be once a month. It doesn't have to be regular. Just come at some point when you can to show these kids that like, they are important enough to us that we're gonna love on them and we're gonna keep loving them and moving forward um, with this partnership, the human experience. So, thank you. Great, thank you, Bethany. <laughs> Everybody give Nathan a round of applause too in this transition in his life. Um, so as I said, uh, tonight is Freedom Sunday and I love that it's not called Slavery Sunday, it's called Freedom Sunday. And we're going to be really focusing um, and asking the questions, what is God doing in the world today that we're able to come alongside of him and, and to champion uh, his, his decisions, to champion his kind of justice, to see the world put back the way that he does. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to begin um, with, with a story. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you continue to keep our ears open tonight to hear your voice, Lord. Father, I know that there are people here tonight who have heard the call to justice and who have a heart and a passion to see um, freedom come to people around the world. But for whatever reason, that passion has been put aside. Lord, I pray that you would rekindle those passions tonight. And Father, for many of us who have perhaps never even thought about the concept of modern slavery, who haven't thought about injustice on a global level, would you open us up anew to really see the world the way that you do, and that something within us, that Holy Spirit within us, would leap at the opportunity to say yes and amen, and to come alongside of you to rescue this world. Father, we have high expectancy tonight that our lives are going to be changed, but not only that, we're going to see lives around the world affected by what happens here tonight, Father. So continue to bless us us as we press into you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. So now Kumar's story. You're working 14, 18-hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the model laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, Sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, There is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? How much? 30? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid. Richira, there's a girl who's very afraid. 
almost unable to walk. This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out. Thank you all for having me here today. Uh, it's been such a pleasure to be back at the City Beautiful Church and to meet so many of you and see how well you love each other and how well you've loved me even just a short time. Uh, as Ryan said, my name is Scott Adams, and I work as a writer and storyteller with International Justice Mission, or IJM, uh, based in Washington, D.C., uh, but my focus is on sharing the stories about our work in India, like Kumar. Sorry. Uh, just as an overview, IJM's mission is to protect the poor from violence in 17 communities throughout the developing world. We partner with local authorities to address some of the worst forms of violence that oppress the poor every day, like modern slavery, sex trafficking, police brutality, and gender-based violence. I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of our colleagues around the world, and our teams are awesome. 96% of them are serving in their own countries. Today, they've rescued nearly 30,000 people from violence, and our programs are helping to protect more than 21 million people from violence worldwide. I started with IJM in Uganda about six and a half years ago, uh, where we seek justice for widows and orphans who've been thrown from their land with violence. Uh, and to be honest, uh, for a long time, I had a bit of a problem with the way that IJM would set up the problem of injustice for people here in the States. Uh, because for a long time, the stock sermons and speeches would start something like this. So I was driving on the Beltway in DC, and as usual, there was construction, and as usual, I was trapped in traffic and waiting to break out onto the open road. Just as I was about to get past the choke point, a red convertible pulls up through uh, the side lane, cuts me off, and steals my right of way, and I was pissed about the injustice. And that's it. Uh, for a long time, I think that kind of imagery, that definition of injustice, worked for people. Uh, for a lot of America's majority mind in the prosperity of the, the late 90s and the early 2000s, that's exactly what injustice meant. Injustice here in the States was inconvenience and the simple breaking of rules. Uh, but then as an NGO or a nonprofit, we could contrast that with real injustice that was happening over there in India, in Uganda, in the Philippines, the Dominican Republic, 
with sex trafficking and rape and police brutality, plaguing the poor every day without release. And that's how we'd show what real injustice means. And for a long time, I think that sort of here and there, us and them kind of dichotomy probably worked really well to, to wake a lot of people up. Uh, and the stories of injustice that we were always telling are definitely true, uh, but those are not the only true stories of injustice. Because especially over the last decade, I think we've all had to wake up to the reality of injustice in our own midst, right here in our own backyard. To innocent women and men who are killed by police, to trafficking rings uncovered in even the most beautiful American suburbs, to people who commit heinous acts of rape and are let off easily because of their privilege and their power. We have all been confronted. We can no longer hide in the safety of our churches. We can no longer contrast our injustice with theirs someplace else. There's no more here or there because the brokenness of the world affects us all. There is only us and us. We've had to admit that real injustice is part of the human experience. We are all feeling the ramifications of sin, the abuse of power, and the tyranny of fear. We're all in this fight together, as corny as that may sound, but we're crying out for something more, for some sort of release. We are often pushed to ask and question God's goodness, asking what is he going to do with all of this mess? And one of the most frustrating and frightening uh, manifestations of injustice today is the prevalence in the story of slavery in our world. It's been tough for me personally, as I've shifted focus this year, to face the, br the brutal reality of that abuse in the stories we're telling from India. Slavery has been the most severe stain of sin across all of human history. It's the use of violence and deception to control and dehumanize someone, the total robbing of their dignity, and reducing them to a thing to be used up and thrown away. At the same time, Slavery throughout history has played a huge role in who we are as a culture and who we are as a church. It was through the voices of American slaves that God inspired some of the most beautiful music that we've ever heard. And it was through the abolition of American and British slavery that we created many of the heroes who we still celebrate today, like Abraham Lincoln, William Wilberforce, and Harriet Tubman. Far before that, it was through liberation from slavery that God most boldly demonstrated his love for the Jews in Exodus. As one of my bosses recently pointed out, from that point onward in scripture, God identifies himself, that is, chooses to make himself known as the God who rescued us from slavery, who delivered his people from their oppressors with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This should give us a sense of how important God deems the rescuing of his people and the reputation that he is willing to stake on his own hand, liberating us from oppression. You want to know who I am, he says. You question my power. I am the God who delivered you out of slavery, out of the hand of your oppressor. Slavery was the blight that God's people had escaped, the closed chapter in the great human story. And yet... Uh, as you've learned, as we've all had to learn, that there are perhaps more slaves in the world today than in any other time in human history. Experts estimate that there are more than 45 million children, women, and men trapped in slavery today in almost every 
culture, and country. Human trafficking, which feeds the system of slavery, is the second largest criminal industry in the world, bringing in more than $150 billion a year, two-thirds alone from sex trafficking. Millions woke up this morning to an endless day of back-breaking labor, molding bricks or breaking rocks or mining the, the minerals that make our iPhones. Millions of children will search for sleep tonight after endless hours being sold for sex in brothels, bars, and seedy back rooms. As I mentioned, my work at RJM has me traveling and sharing stories from India, uh, which may have more people in slavery than any other country. Anywhere from 11 to 18 million people trapped in violence and desperate for release. They tell us about being beaten, humiliated, gang raped, tied up, shocked and starved, or even seeing other people killed for being too slow or too outspoken or too human for the slave owners that control them. Parents dread the day that their children will be trapped in this system of degradation. Children watch their parents crumble under daily humiliation and violence of the slave owner. Slavery is as terrible as it has ever been, but today for the world's poor, it is hidden away by the criminals who abuse them. It's against the law, but many governments don't enforce those laws anyway. So too often, no one is coming to help, and there's no hope for these people that God is good at all. One of India's 18 million slaves was the boy who you met named Kumar. And as I sat with our social workers in Bangalore, India earlier this year, Kumar's was the story they kept coming back to. Uh, as the clearest demonstration of the evil, evil that we're up against. And I've heard many stories by now of children who face the same kind of abuse as Kumar, uh, but it's still hard to imagine. To imagine being seven years old again, but this time orphaned and alone. To imagine waking up before the sun to join dozens of adults twice your size in a long day of molding, hauling, and stacking heavy clay bricks. You are confused and afraid all the time. You don't even know you're a slave because you're only a child. <sighs> month after month of forced labor left Kumar's hands worn and raw. He desperately wanted to be in school, to play, to make friends, to be comforted, to have a family. He said he was afraid to think about his future and so he told us he just stopped doing it. There were only the endless hours of work and the harsh fists of his owners to keep him moving. Because to them, Kumar is not a child. He is not a person. He is nothing but a means to an end. This is Kumar's life. And it is the story of millions of children in our world right now. It's a four-year-old boy in Ghana cold and starving as he fishes for 17 hours a day on a lake in Ghana under the control of a slave master. It is a four-year-old girl in the Philippines forced to endure unspeakable sexual violence on a live web stream from her home as secret customers watch and pay from around the world. What can be done about Kumar? How can people get away with doing this to children on such a massive scale? How can God let this happen? What is God going to do with all this mess? 
And as much as our old definition of injustice left me wanting more, I have been continually encouraged and changed by IJM's ongoing answer to this question. And it plays out for us in two beautiful truths. The first is that God actually loves this broken world in all of its enormous messiness with all of these broken people uh, living in this chaos every day. We know God loves the world. He tells us over and over in scripture, but it can be so hard to believe. It can be incredibly hard for many people to truly believe that God is good, that he is loving because right here on earth, it's so very hard. But if it really is true, in a world of this kind of suffering and pain, what is God's plan for showing us that he is good? We know in scripture that this world is not the one he originally intended, but we also know from scripture that God's plan for its redemption is us. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Y'all, this is our amazing invitation that we should be ambassadors of God's goodness. And so for thousands of years, Christians have been working to show how God is good and how God is loving by going into the darkness, being the hands and feet, and bringing the light of Christ's love. If people are suffering because they are hungry, we feed them. If people are suffering because they are sick, we bring medical care. If people are suffering because they are homeless, we bring them shelter. In doing so, we make it believable to the world that God is good. That is our calling and that is our job. The second truth that sustains us is that God is actually extraordinarily passionate about justice. And for many people, justice is a very real and tangible thing. Because so many people are suffering in this world, not just because they haven't heard the gospel, not just because they are hungry or sick or do not have a home, but because they have an oppressor. They suffer under the deliberate abuse of someone who was to take away from them the good things that God intended, their life, their liberty, the fruits of their labor and their love. In Psalm 10, it says that these oppressors sit in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, they murder the innocent. Their stealthy eyes watch for the helpless. They lurk in secret like a covert lion. They lurk that they may seize the poor. They seize the poor and drag them off in their net. As Christians, how are we supposed to respond to this kind of injustice and suffering? How does God regard such suffering? Again, in scriptures like Micah 6.8 and Isaiah 1.17, he makes it clear, we are the plan. In Micah, he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require to you? To act justly and to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And in Isaiah, God says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. We can debate so many things about our faith today, how God might feel about one issue or another, but on the issue of justice for the poor, thankfully, he is extraordinarily clear. God loves justice, and he wants us to do it. So how do we do it? It's perhaps most succinctly told in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 which is not just the story of Jesus being a great caterer, but it is a story of the the point of our faith. It's lunchtime, 
and the thousands of people who have gathered to hear Jesus speak are growing restless and hungry. And Jesus plainly tells his disciples to feed them. The disciples know there's not enough food in their bags or in the small villages around them to make this possible. But Jesus asks them simply, what do you have? And what do the disciples have but two fish and five loaves of bread, laughably not enough to accomplish the task at hand. But Jesus says, give it to me, and he does the miracle. He takes responsibility. All he asks from us, from his disciples, is simple obedience. God yearns for his people to come forward with obedience and offer their talents so that he can do what he longs to do. Bring justice to the oppressed, no matter how dark their situation. At IJM, we bring the experience of our lawyers, investigators, social workers, and other staff. We offer our relationships with local authorities. We rescue people out of bondage and walk with them for years until they are made whole. And we push for transformation in their communities that will prevent thousands from ever having to be abused. We offer what we have into the hands of Jesus and miracles happen. In the Philippines, it meant giving our time relentlessly to working with local police, to rescuing children out of sex trafficking and prosecuting their abusers. And it led to seeing a nearly 80% drop in the number of children being sold for sex in one massive city after only four years. Just one year ago, I was on the ground in Cambodia telling the story of another miracle, of how the fierce effort of my IJM colleagues and the local authorities and dozens of other organizations of goodwill had been fighting sex trafficking there for 15 years as well. And in a place that was once notorious for selling five-year-old girls for sex on the street, minors now make up less than one-tenth of one percent of the sex industry and local authorities are aggressively chasing the end of trafficking altogether. These miracles of justice took just people's simple acts of obedience over time. And it's exactly the same for all of us as citizens of this present earth. We see injustice prey upon the poor and the vulnerable all around us, but it's God's call to love people with what we have right now, even in the midst of the chaos. That's what my colleagues in India did for Kumar and the others trapped with him. And this, thankfully, is Kumar's story, part two. IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And, based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused, there is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, 
They were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, the one thing I want to do is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker, to help those still suffering like he did. And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after them until we find them. To be relentless in our love. definitely here today for two reasons. The first is to get you thinking about our God of justice, who yearns for us to be his hands and feet uh, to, with the victims of oppression we see every day. The second is to invite you to partner with IJM to help us do some of that work in some of the most afflicted places in the world. I want to invite you to become an IJM freedom partner and make a monthly commitment to the work of justice. Just $24 a month brings you into the fight against slavery, sex trafficking, and everyday violence in our time. We need your help. We cannot do this without you and your friends and your community, making this a rightful cause of the church today. Restoring justice to its rightful place as the refrain of our love in the world. I think the cause of IJM is compelling, and I think the quality of our staff in the field is unmatched around the world. So I invite you to support these friends of mine by joining us as a freedom partner. And if you join this month, uh, your giving is doubled all year long by generous friends of IJM. You can sign up right now at ijm.org FP, uh, or you can meet us in the back after the service as well. Please come talk to me and meet my friend Renee, who works with IJM as well, to find here other ways that you can get involved. But even if you don't, I invite you to do something that makes God's passion for justice real right here on earth as it is in heaven. We may not know the reason for so much suffering and injustice in our world. We do not know why the chaos continues, why so many children never get their fair shot. But we do not need an answer to all these things before we take action. God has been clear. 
We are all affected by injustice, but so many of us have power that someone else may not. We are the adults. We are the church. We are in government or have a voice in government. We are creators and makers and voices right where we are. We are the people who are asked to hold on to what is true and to figure out what is hard. Jesus has called us to mirror his love and compassion. We cannot ignore the presence, the presence of injustice in our culture, in our headlines, and in our communities. We cannot ignore our duty as Christians to be God's hands and feet, even in spite of all the mess. We are called to be people who use our power and our resources in humble obedience to set others free. He has told us what is good, how justice is essential to his character, and so it must be essential to our worship, to our works, and to our daily lives. If you allow me to pray for us. Lord, I'm so grateful for this community, the way they clearly love each other and love the ones around them. I pray that you would prosper all the works of their hands to rescue the oppressed they see every day and that you would move in people's hearts to find new ways to be your hands and feet. God, I ask for your protection over IJM staff in the field as we do the hard work and go into hard places that are unsafe and scary. I ask that you would help us to rescue people who are trapped in modern-day slavery right now and that we would truly see the end of modern-day slavery in our lifetime. God, I pray that you would stir in all of us to find new ways to be your hands and feet. In all these things we say, amen.